Can I say we'll give it up? Will from Brazil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mr. Chartrand. Saúde. Saúde. This is not real cachaça, by the way. We're just, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. This is uh, tap water. Well, there is no uh, mystery uh, where you're from. Good talk. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can you can think you can think that to Jack Zara that legitimize my my stage name. So yeah. I guess I'm gonna jump into why we're from Brazil. Well, obviously because I'm from Brazil, and a lot of people actually dispute me on that. It's, really, it's actually funny because huh. they'll be they'll be uh, at a performance, usually like a solo performance at a country club, and I'll be playing. Pfft, I know Dar Straits or something, and then they'll ah. come up to me. It's like, oh, we're from Brazil. You're not really from Brazil. And I'm like, uh, hold on, I got five. I got five <laughs> different IDs. I can show you. <laughs> yeah, that's an old story. So, so yeah. Then I thought, no, I am from São Paulo, Brazil. And I'm like, you're lying. I'm like, okay, I'm not. It's okay. just my stage name. Right, you know, right. I just, yeah, people thought I looked Brazilian, so they call me we're from Brazil. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it wasn't until. I think 2011 at some time when I was living in Chicago and I was playing with this old outfit, uh, Chicago Samba. They've probably been together for 35 years or so. And I was fronting that with uh, one of the co-founders, Mo Marchini. And, but Mo lived in St. Louis. That's where I lived before. That's where I met my wife, Monica, that's sitting right there. Yeah, Will from Brazil family. And, my, my and the pup. And the pup, Lobinho, which means little wolf. Uh-huh. This lovely husky mix we adopted earlier this year, yeah. and so out of a need to create a more inclusive expression of what I represent as a musician, I created this group and I picked some guys that have played in Chicago some before, or some cats that I just met in different bars of the scene in Chicago, and ended up with a six-piece expendable band that uh-huh. would add horns and percussion given the proper budget sure and and the basis was this very very talented guy uh that's a longtime chicago resident his name is jack zara and i was just flattered to have him because the couple times that i came as a different band that i had in st louis called the rio deal that i created first time i started playing with somebody who started calling ourselves the the rio deal uh rio not as in rio but is in rio right 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 yeah and I had some great cats in that band too. This guy is in Nashville right now. He was my first actually kit player for the band since I moved from Brazil. His name is Moises Padilla, and he lives in Nashville now. He plays with this outfit called Radio Romance, putting out another record, I think, soon now. And yeah, they, they do they do okay, and I, I love him as a musician. He's a very well-rounded musician. So a couple of times we would go to Chicago to play. Uh, 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 split bills of Chicago Samba and other different ethnic acts or Brazilian acts. There's this other group, Funkadesi, that we played alongside with them in different street festivals that I, I love hearing them too. Um, and one day I decided to get the guys together for just a little brainstorming to come up with the name for the band. And very famously, Jack Zada just goes like, we are meeting for what? The name of the band is the Will from Brazil band. Meeting over. Bye. <laughs> this could have been an email. <laughs> exactly. <you know>? and <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I was a little hesitant to, because I don't know, it just centered too much on me. Uh. Uh, so I didn't, I wasn't ready to accept that, that role in such a 
capital lettering, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. But little by little, I turned into Will from Brazil, and now I introduce myself often as Will from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Who are you? I'm Will from Brazil, you know, mm-hmm. just to make things easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go back. Um, let's go back to, to growing up in Sao Paulo. Uh, what were the records that were inspiring, or, or who were the acts that, that were really inspiring to you as a, as a young musician? Oh, boy. So, yeah, my musical upbringing was kind of a tiramisu cake of influences because in one hand... Uh, or in one of the many hands of Brazilian musical influences is like Shiva. <laughs> many many uh-huh, different uh-huh, styles right, being right, held right. at your face. So you just inevitably you're going to run into some of the classic Brazilian stuff like the samba and the street samba, the partido alto and the, the hand percussion instruments and people are playing in the street corner and just sit in and you grab a little drum and you start learning you start playing with them mm. as a kid mm-hmm. and then there's a school of samba stuff that is more complex it involves upwards to 500 guys playing wow. the, the patterns like in drum yeah. line and yeah. it's intense and it's breathtaking it's yeah. like the, the grand canyon of percussion ensembles you know you step to the edge of when they're playing and you just feel the sound pressure level and uh. so in time and it's so nice and the energy produced by the people playing so passionately yeah it takes you back a little bit it's like Oof. yeah oh my god this is really some powerful stuff and it's all based on west african i was just going to ask you um it, it tell me a little bit about how that music kind of came about i i do know a little bit about you know the influences of, of brazilian music but I'm sure you can speak to it better than I can. Yeah, Brazil is a colony of Portugal, but in the in the development of the colony and it started getting more and more profitable for them, they needed cheap labor. Mm-hmm. And by cheap I mean free. Free. So right. they were a trading post for the uh the import and the export of African slaves, mostly from West Africa. So we have a large, large population of African-American descent in Brazil, uh, mostly from Igbo, Yoruba tribes, a lot of people from Ghana, Nigeria, Ivory Coast, different mm-hmm. different uh, tribes in Africa were, uh, were forced, right. forced to, to move Take to Brazil. And yeah. uh, with that level of expression in African culture, Brazil became very uh, African-based when it came to the early musical expression that's in the the West African patterns, you know, mm-hmm. samba is a direct uh, varietal of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, little by little, started mixing with European influence and uh, polk, polka, yeah. and, and huh. classical. Okay. That's how we incorporated accordion in some of the musical okay. styles. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So some of the instruments from Western Europe and the rhythms of, of West Africa. Can you share... A, a, a kind of a classic rhythm, like a, a classic uh, rhythm. Yeah, sure. There's um, there's a classic one that's Afoche, also called Ije Sha, and it goes ta ta tum ta tum ta ta tum tum ta ta tum ta tum ta ta tum tum ta ta tum ta tum ta ta tum tum. And you can overlay that in different samba patterns, mm-hmm. even some bossa patterns, uh, like a classic. A classic samba would be there. It's a four. It's a four by mm-hmm. four. But it goes. It's got the that bass on the one mm-hmm. and the three, and sometimes it has dual bass, so a, hmm. a, a, a higher pitch bass drum. Mm-hmm. 
There's a lot of that duality in the mm-hmm. in the the samba family of rhythms in Brazil. And then there's also different uh, West African influenced rhythm like the the maracatu. The maracatu is more like. It's just bananas to me. Mm -hmm. There's crazy. There's a lot of variety, and Brazil's not uh, alone in this um, in this heritage. So a lot of there's a lot of crossover between some of the Latin jazz of other countries, Mm. like the island countries, like Cuba, you know, Puerto Mm -hmm. Rico, sure, and the jazz that comes out of Brazil. A lot of the claves is similar, or you can blend it very well and make it sound like one Mm -hmm. one big gumbo jambalaya type mm-hmm. of soup and it's fantastic i love collaborating with people that have some of that influence as well i love collaborating with people that have just a straight blues influence uh-huh uh-huh right that, that's how the wheel from brazil band became a thing because i would pick a guy that knew nothing about samba and kind of teach him how to play kit uh-huh yeah or i would just rely on someone that's super talented and has been on the scene forever like Eitor garcia or Luis Everling from Chicago to or Dede Sampaio to come and play and play a couple a couple a couple gigs with me and you know, and then the other players in the band would get so much from playing with those guys that they would automatically be better at uh-huh. at sure. the syncopation right. and knowing where to put the accents and even like when you're playing more lyrically something with more melody you learn a lot of nuance and dynamics and where the accents go just by playing with the with a good rhythm section that mm. like knows what they're doing. Well, and you mentioned Emerson, you know, who's super steeped in Latin rhythms. And, mm-hmm. But what a cool way to kind of incorporate different vibes, different different rhythms. And we're not even talking about choral structures or anything or, mm-hmm. or melodies. It's all just that that foundation of a rhythm mm-hmm. and that interplay. Is, is would I would imagine would be super cool to bring these other kind of influences in and um so kind of steeped in in classic uh, Brazilian music. When did you come to the guitar? Well, now that's the the, the other hand of Shiva when it came to my musical bringing. On the other hand, I had my mother, which was a very uh, very cosmopolitan woman that had a very um, very eclectic taste in, uh-huh. in music and she had a lot of vinyl and she okay. would play different records around the house as she's cleaning up in the weekend and i'm there listening with her and she'd listen to rufus and shaka khan or oh sure dion warwick oh yeah stevie wonder or like remember jive bunny and the master mixers remixes of rock and roll from the 50s she would Whoa. play that sometimes and i grew up listening to this huge variety of artists that influenced me in, yeah. in a different way. And, but my personal taste growing up, because a lot of young Brazilians tend to be kind of uh, Anglo-centered, you know, and they kind of listen to the British and the American rock. Uh-huh. That's kind of where we grow up in, depending on kind of where you grew up and what part of the country you grew up in. So I was very focused on, 
hard rock, heavy metal, British heavy metal mostly. I was in a tribute to Iron Man, uh, Iron Maiden band for a little while. Uh, Yeah, I played bass and I sang. So I was Bruce Dickinson and Steve Harris. And then seeing that I could play both well, these guys recruited me to play in a tribute to Rush Band. So I did. Oh, no shit? Yes. So I was getting Lee for a little bit. My six foot eight asses. Yeah, you look just like (laughs) The resemblance is striking. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So uh, what, um, when I moved to the States, which was when? 2003. Okay, so, that's so. when I moved here. So, all right. Oh yeah. So yeah, you're as a Phoenician as I am as I'm uh, American. American right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I would bust out a guitar and start playing music, the songs that I wanted to play, and I would play some Stone Temple Pilots and some Come on. other stuff. And then people would be like, "Hey, uh, do you play any Jobim?" And I'm like, uh, "Oh, that guy." Uh, I like him now, but I don't play any. And, and then I started getting disappointed in myself because everyone would ask for it. Sure. And I'm like, man, I should be a little more proud of this guy. He's really good. I like his songs, you know. And I started learning one he's by one. He's a national one. treasure. He is. He's an, a worldwide treasure. Yeah. He's revered so many places. So I started learning. I think the first one was obviously Girl from Ipanema. Sure. And then me being self-thought and not having any type of education academically in music it was really challenging just oh, learning sure. those chord progressions and some of those harmonies for bossa nova and the syncopation too because i was used to the good old rock and roll tune, ta, 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 right sure and trying to learn like to play the bass with my thumb and yep. playing the, the the different harmonies with the three fingers instead of just like striking everything or certain right. strings with your pick, which is what I was used to. So I had to develop my finger picking style mm-hmm. and the bass and a lot of those chords, the bass is not like you, you can play like the fifth and it would be all right because right it's a dissonant chord or a diminished. So the bass you have to right. <laughs> have to figure out on the fly sometimes. Uh, so it, it was challenging, but it was also very enriching, enriching for me as a musician to go outside of what I w- was used to, the blues and the pentatonics and the sure. occasional diminished harmonic here and there, and then try to learn new scales and new modes. I'm still, it's, it's, it's a process, you know, yeah, bro, it's I'll, a lifelong thing. It's, exactly. You know, once you, once you think you figured it all out. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, after learning a, a bunch more Brazilian music, I started falling more and more in love and kind of focusing, putting my antenna back towards Brazil. Mm-hmm. I said, like, wait, 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 I just left Brazil and there's this vast well of amazing music that I never really got into because I was too focused on just learning the stuff to play with the boys right. from high school. And right. in my high school band, we played rock, you know, we played Kiss, Aerosmith, you know, Metallica, Megadeth. <laughs> and I started learning more and more about my own uh, music. And I uh, started playing out here and there, and then met Mo Marchini, that was one of the, the founders from Chicago Samba, and he started calling me for a few gigs in St. Louis. And then uh, Chicago Samba had kind of like a a breakup around uh, 2007 or so and then he needed somebody to kind of co-lead with him because uh, the other guys had started their own projects in Chicago that would be I think Luciano Antonio Marcos Oliveira they kind of went their their separate ways so that left kind of like an open spot mm-hmm. with Chicago Samba so I came in and, and did what I could to to bring the, the a variety of vibes there to the Brazilian scene and it was quite lovely what what why chicago what what was that the first place that you moved to no i was still in st louis at the time i probably commuted to chicago almost on a weekly basis like moisir has been doing for 
I don't know how many decades now, because he's been living in St. Louis for, I think, 20 years now, but he still plays in Chicago almost weekly. So I was doing that with him. We would share the ride sometimes. Sometimes I would fly. Sometimes I would take the Megabus, the Amtrak, you name it. Yeah. You know? And I was doing that almost on a weekly basis because at the time I think we had some residencies there, but I was living in St. Louis. So what brought you to St. Louis? Well, what brought, what brought you to the United States? The United States. So my Aunt Luciana met this gentleman, Kevin Buchanan, that was from St. Louis. He worked for Monsanto, and he was coming to Sao Paulo often for business because Monsanto has a huge headquarters down for South America, okay. based down of, of Sao Paulo. Um, and he met her in a shopping mall, and then they started dating, and then he took a liking for me, and he was very impressed by the fact that I spoke fluent English, and I've never having really, I visited the States when I was 10, I think, going on 11, and that was my, my only experience, like speaking to mm-hmm. native speakers, so then I was super excited that he was there, and I was able to communicate with him, and then I was trying to get into this very prestigious and hard to get into law school in, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. It's the University of Sao Paulo Law School, which is in, in Brazil, it's a one school deal, but it's a little longer than the, the four year. I think it's mm-hmm. like five years or some change. And I got close to getting in. It's like a gatekeeper exam, like mm-hmm. an SAT type of thing, but only the 0.5 percentile for that school in particular would manage mm-hmm. to get in. Mm-hmm. And he, oh man, that that kind of sucks, you know. You want to check out the colleges in in St. Louis, and I said, well, why not? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. hop on a plane, and stayed for a couple of months just to get to know the town. And I fell in love with St. Louis. St. Louis mm. is a great town. People were very nice there. And started a semester in a community college there, and then soon after that, I found out that this other local university had a men's volleyball program and. Crushed I played, it. yeah, I played volleyball Come on. in Brazil. So yeah. I, I went and did a walk-on tryout, and they, they liked me, and they offered me a, a pretty sweet deal there. Nice. So, uh, yeah, and then lived in St. Louis, worked the hospitality industry while I was there, mostly. Uh, and then it wasn't until 2010, 2011, around the time that I had just met Monica. We dated for about a year or so, and then she got this job in Phoenix, and she was, she was in the mood for an adventure. Yeah. And I'm moving to Phoenix, and I said, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I wish I could have her side of the story right now, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's coming in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Monica, Monica Goody, who puts up with Will from Brazil <laughs> on most days. <laughs> Uh, and she decided to take this job, and I decided, hey, you know what? This commute to Chicago is getting a little, yeah. a little tedious. You know, yeah. it's corn to one side, then it's corn to the other side. And every once in a while, you see a soy field, right. and that's and every once in a while, there's a, a, a wall cloud and a tornado coming. Right. So the, the, the trip wasn't that. So I decided to move to Chicago. And wow, Chicago, what a city for the yeah. music. I'm, oh, God. I'm sure you've been there. It's, yeah. it's just phenomenal. The scene is amazing there. One of my favorite venues on planet Earth is in Chicago. It's the Green Mill. Oh, the Green Mill is fantastic. There's so many stories. There's a story about an underground yeah. tunnel. Right. Al there. Capone, right? That's like right. The, his getaway tunnel. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Jeez. I know that they have storage there because I've, I've been like not in the pit, but I was sitting in in a, in a jam session. The Adam Thornburg, phenomenal friend, uh, a trombone player. He plays trumpet now, too. Um, he was hosting there on Tuesday nights. 
And then I noticed that one of the barbacks opened like this vault and mm-hmm. just went under. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a lot of stuff going on down there. Yeah. And then somebody told me the story. And it's like, oh, that used to be Al Capone's getaway plan. Right. Right. I don't know if it's true, but I saw that there's a Not, lot of stuff down there. I think I think it is for real. There's a lot of there's a lot of quality venues in Chicago for sure. So much. And is there a history. big a Brazilian community there? Like did well, it sounds like they they are they had some samba acts and 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 you know yeah that's it's a sizable community but the most um, the most notable thing is that in the scene you know I think the majority of the musicians are actually American born mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. that just fell in love with Brazilian music so much like Jack Zada he's he's even got a Brazilian wife oh right and her name is also Monica okay hi Monica <laughs> yeah they got a baby girl now Jade. And yeah, and then Jack just found love so hard with Brazilian culture that he embraced it fully. Yeah. 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 And yeah, uh, the community is, is sizable there, but it's pretty spread out. They come together for the major events, like okay. the Carnival, which sure. is our Mardi Gras yep. celebration. And every once in a while, they'll show up for a Brazilian Réveillon, which is the New Year's Eve party that we, we have. And September 7th is our Independence Day, so sometimes they'll they'll annotate like presence there gotcha. or world cup time oh sure full-on party come on yeah we had a couple of parties in lincoln park that <laughs> fire marshal got called cops are there <laughs> shooing people off the streets after the game uh-huh. and capacity was 500 we had 1200 people <laughs> it was pretty crazy and we have the girls in the summer costumes and the drums are going the whole yeah. game that we score and the whole place just erupts. erupts I'm sure it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, I highly recommend if you are into soccer or if you're into Brazilian music or dance or just a big old party. Yeah, attend a, a viewing uh, party for a Brazil game. It's, yeah, yeah, it's it's oh, it, yeah, it's it, it doesn't beat being in the stadium, but it's close. It's close. Yeah. yeah, and the amount of ecstasy, excitement that you you experience there. So, how long were you in Chicago? Chicago is roughly there for. As a resident for about five to six years, because I can't count the times that I was living in St. Louis, because I was doing a lot of stuff in St. Louis too. But uh-huh. it was was I was 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 a blur there, yeah, because sure. the, there was a lot of time spent on the road and playing different cities around the Midwest. Because Chicago had a footprint in a lot of the Midwest scene when it came to the the college circuit there and the little festivals. Uh-huh. Like we did one that I really loved doing. I never forget that, and I think it was one of the l- last few years that they did and then they canceled it and it wasn't even pandemic related i think the city just pulled the plug on it it was called the city folk festival in dayton ohio Uh and they would use the university's dormitories to house all the musicians that came from different parts of the country sometimes a couple international guys and every night after the performances the musicians would get together in the center atrium of the the Uh building and just there would be this beautiful collab jams of all kinds of different instruments you can imagine and people singing along Oh my God, uh, it's kind of hard to forget like that. And you were playing guitar? It, it, that was the main interest, I- instrument at the time, or was. At, Ch- at Chicago Samba, because we did a lot of stuff that was percussion only, too, I became pretty well rounded in Brazilian Samba percussion. Okay. So I would play percussion in some tracks, I would play guitar in some tracks. Some t- sometimes I'll play guitar and sing, sometimes I'll play percussion and sing. Okay. Sometimes I'll switch in the middle of the song. Right, right. So yeah, I did. I, I I learned a lot playing with Chicago Samba and, and how to keep a crowd going and on their feet and jumping. Isn't isn't that a skill just completely in and of itself? Do you know what I'm saying? It's like sure, you can be a great musician, you can be a great singer, great percussion player. The other skill 
is the front man or is like the energy provider. It's one thing to shred and, and really technically speaking, command your instrument, but it's another thing to translate that into energy and to bring people into that process. Absolutely. And I feel like, mm-hmm. and I feel like Brazilian music is that it's mm-hmm. inclusive. It's, you know, even if you don't have an instrument, you're clapping, you're hitting something. There's a, there's a inclusiveness in that music. I think because so much of it is rhythm based. You don't need to know how to play a guitar or play a melody based instrument. It's it's just I don't know. There's something you can clap. I, I, you can clap yeah, along. It's yeah. something there. Brazilian music. It's very contagious. It, it uh-huh. kind of elicits a reaction because it's got that 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 beat, that neuro beat. That's yeah. Dum, 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 dum. What does it sound like? A heartbeat. Exactly. So yeah. it's very human. Yeah. So you, the the least you're going to do, you're going to be clapping to it. You're going to be You're going to be moving. Your, you're going to yeah. be moving. Okay? Yeah. It's, it, it elicits a reaction, a physical reaction, an emotional reaction. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Playing, being a performer in music and having played Brazilian music for as long as I have and having played for large crowds and it, it, it kind of learn how to read the crowd and... Hmm. Hmm learn what they expect from you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to not let mm-hmm. them down you know right. and as as a group you kind of rely on one another to keep that vibe going so that's why i like to have the shredders yeah i like to have the guys with the full command of their instrument because sure. i rely on them to keep my energy going too right interesting yeah sometimes right. after three minutes and 40 seconds of just full on vocals you start feeling your gallbladder you're like <laughs> oh, your oxygen is low you know right. and i'm like i go alex nico you know give me 16 bars man give me 32 bars <laughs> so you can kind of recoup your breathing right. and come back at the same energy level so people don't feel like sitting down right know? right so all right so what happens after chicago after Chicago, uh, it was a little bit of a heartbreak story. Not too bad. It was my, my, out of my own volition. And the thing about Chicago is that you need to be a very good business person and really plan your finances well. Because just like Phoenix, it's seasonal. But it's seasonal in an opposite right. Pull. Right. You're gonna be rolling in money if you're doing it right and you're marketing yourself right and you hit the right niche markets, and you're gonna be making good money in the summer. Mm-hmm. But when the winter comes, mm-hmm. if you yeah. don't have something planned, a couple of residencies, some teaching gigs, something right. lined up, or if you don't have enough save to really just survive the winter, uh-huh. you're gonna struggle. Right. So my, I think my sixth winter there is when I saw an opportunity with a tech startup called Upshow there, and then they needed someone that was captivating and try to sell a new concept to businesses, mostly hospitality businesses, uh, of a social media interactive product. And they saw that I spoke English, Spanish, and Portuguese. So they sent me to Miami to, to oh. work for them there, and I did good there for a couple of years. I took a side gig there. I wanted to bartend at this nightclub in South Beach that was one of my clients with Upshow. Oh, there you go. And I applied and I gave him my resume. And then the guys go like, uh, we want you, but as a manager. And I was like, oh, goodness, there goes my life balance, work-life right, balance right, right, right there. Right. So, yeah, I just went into this crazy, whew, like, 60 to 80 hours working every week that uh, nearly killed me. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I bet. 
Yeah, and I was uh, not really satisfied with the, the scene was okay there. I got a little thing going. It was the Bossa Nova Social Club at this place called 1306 Miami. They had just opened. Now they're called Melinda by Aramis Laurier and Brad Knopfler there. Very cool guys. Right in downtown Miami, I was doing that on a weekly basis, doing it solo or with guests. Mm-hmm. And it was nice, um, but there was something missing in my heart. And I kept thinking more and more about this girl that I didn't want to chase mm-hmm. when she moved to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I called her one day, and it was right after I actually took a trip to Chicago to play the Carnival with Chicago Samba. That was 2016. And then after that ecstasy of being on stage with all those people and all the dancers and all the spotlight and the great energy, then you feel that void right after mm-hmm. you, you decompress from the show. And I'm like, something's missing. Mm-hmm. And then I think the next day I decided to call her and I said, hey, I can't do this anymore. And she said her heart dropped. Her heart sank because she thought I was saying, like, we can't keep this going. Because we were kind of trying the long distance thing for the longest time. Yeah, We saw other people, but at the end of the day, we always look forward to seeing each other whenever possible. Yeah. Whether it was in St. Louis or me going, coming to Phoenix to visit her or her going to, went to Miami a couple of times. Absolutely hated it. <laughs> she hated it. <laughs> I don't blame her. I like Miami. Miami's weird. It's weird. It's not for everyone. Right. I like Miami. But yeah, living there was a good experience, but I thought it was time to leave Miami. So she tried Miami, hated it. And I said, you know what? Phoenix is cool. I like Phoenix. It's kind of weird to me because it's so hot. It's yeah. a desert. You know, yeah. why are people living there? <laughs> and then I just packed my stuff and moved to Miami. Sold a few guitars, a few amps moved there. Moved to Phoenix. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Moved to Phoenix. Sorry. <laughs> So sold my stuff in Miami and and I moved to Phoenix. That was May of 2017. And nice. boy, boy was I surprised about the just the size and the quality of the scene here. Yeah. I, yeah. Met, I met some of the greatest musicians I've ever met here in Phoenix and I was not expecting that. Yeah. I was not expecting that at all. So yeah, it d- didn't take very long for Phoenix to captivate me. And yeah. I think first cat I met was Joe Goglia. He's amazing educator he's the band director of camelback high school and he's taught probably over 50 maybe 100 kids after a class how to play brazilian drums oh cool so like uh, uh, we'll get like a gig that we need a lot of percussionists he can make a couple calls to some of his alumni Mm -hmm. and then we'll get like a 30 piece brazilian ensemble which is amazing i never thought i was gonna (laughs) see anything like that and so i met him and samuel pena he's an educator who's working at asu right now and they were doing a little workshop at the MIM. Uh-huh. And Monica, very kindly to try to uh, get me acquainted with this scene, brought me there. Yeah. And I met the guys and, hey, you're Brazilian? Hey, I love Brazilian music. It's like, you're not Brazilian, but you love Brazilian. Yes, I love you, bro. We <laughs> <laughs> started doing some work together. We still do a lot of work together. And then I went to the Nash Next and met some of the jazz cats there. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't too long until I met Stephen Himmelstein, sure. awesome guy, yeah. Shay Marshall, amazing yeah. cat too, yeah. met you. And yeah, it's been great since, you know. Um, to be honest, since the pandemic uh, hit, uh, the Wheel from Brazil band hasn't had as much traction as we once had before. Hmm. It's partly because maybe I'm probably not marketing as hard as I was in the past because it was kind of a weird moment, you know. Yeah. And, you don't even know if you're supposed to be marketing so hard and right. at this point, you know. But I'm thankful for all all the things that come our way. We still do a lot of private stuff. We still have a on-off residency at the Walmart. Sure. Down the street there. 
Across the street. Across the street, right? <laughs> yeah, like, I, can, I can throw I can throw this bottle of cachaça at the Walmart right now. <laughs> let's not do that. Let's not do that. I want more of it. <laughs> <laughs> let's take a let's take a, a very short break, but we'll be right back. So the story goes is brought to you by Santan Brewing Company, which is bringing back Jerry Day for all you Grateful Dead fans out there. Deadheads, let's go. Let's rally. Get out your tie-dyed shirt or purchase a fresh one at the event and join Santan to celebrate the birthday of Grateful Dead's late singer-guitarist, songwriter Jerry Garcia's birthday. The event will be held on August 13th at the new Santan Gardens, which is located at 495 East Warner Road in Chandler, Arizona. I've played this stage. It's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this myself. For more information, please visit santanbrewing.com forward slash events to learn more and get your tickets. See you then. Let's talk about the Will from Brazil band. All right. Well, in its current formation, I am very pleased to have some very passionate musicians tagging along. Uh, I've had the pleasure of had, of having Emerson Laffey play with us for for a number of years now. I've also had Christopher Reedy play with us. And every once in a while, I get another phenomenal drummer that will come and sub for us. I had Fred Boswell, he's a phenomenal drummer too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had Luis Santos, which is a, a guy that Brazilian guy that just moved from New York. He's played with us a couple of times too. Sometimes, um, sometimes we'll do it without uh, a kit player and we'll try to do a format where it's more hand percussion, do like a trio, do keys and me on guitar and some percussion. And I like to have some horns in it. Nico, Nicolas Vlodarczyk or Nico Whitegold, he's been mm-hmm. a great partner of mine in yeah. and, and doing some of the, the tracks. Um, I have David Gonzalez that is a cat that actually, he grew up in Cincinnati. He is originally from Miami, from a Cuban family. And then he moved to Cincinnati at a young age. And he moved here to the Valley around the same time that I did. And he's got a lot of nice original uh, piano music that he's putting out right now. And he's been playing with me for a few years now as well. And he has his own influence to the to the the tunes, which I like a lot too. And I try to make it interesting to the, the crowd and to engage them as much as possible. So I will very rarely throw in one of my originals. And I mostly try to focus on things that will excite the crowd. Like uh-huh. currently I've We've been working. I do like a a, a Brazilian style version of uh, Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads, or I'll do a Bobby Caldwell uh, "What You Won't Do for Love" with a Bossa Nova beat, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I do some obscure Brazilian covers from artists that you don't you don't hear very often. Yeah. You know? um, and every once in a while, I'll have special guests sit in. Uh, recently, this other uh, a musician, Nikita Schobanscheller, just uh, moved into the valley recently, and she plays violin and saxophone. So it's great to have her to add different elements. Um, and and what's the what's the goal? Is, is the goal to make a record? Is the goal just to be a, a working musician? 
Are there stages that that you're looking to play in town? Like, what's the what's the vision on this? The goal is to have fun. So <laughs> when the volition to get in the studio and put out uh, an EP comes, and I, I have, I I wouldn't say ambition to do it. I have the desire to do oh. it. It's something that's definitely in the in the plans, and we could potentially get into the studio and record something relatively fast because i have a lot of stuff that i write but i haven't really finished mm -hmm. writing a lot of the stuff it's poetry without music a lot of the th things are music without poetry yeah it would be a week of me taking some time off and just like okay this is gonna go well with this melody this is the theme for this and this chorus that i wrote can turn into a song with these other lyrics that i wrote you know i have like google docs for weeks that i can mm -hmm. craft into songs but i haven't had really the peace of mind to uh -huh to get to my creative side well and maybe this is where we talk about how the pandemic affected creativity did you see an increase or a decrease and how did you how did you overcome that moment i mean as a performing musician we couldn't oh, do man. our work oh man yeah <laughs> the pandemic was just a huge shock i'm sure for everyone but it was at a time that we were pretty busy I had I think four residencies on a weekly basis mm -hmm. I was between solos and playing with the band and then all of a sudden the plug is pulled on everything yeah. and unfortunately for me I didn't have a whole lot of FU cash saved up right. so I had to jump right in the front lines and catch some type of work you know so I was working as a tax preparer for a tax company my, my buddy my buddy owns a few, a few offices and I started working for him which is great because I got I got in uh, I got up to date with my taxes that I hadn't looked at in a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> then I helped a bunch of other people, a bunch of other musicians. Oh, I yeah. helped, yeah, oh, a lot yeah, of people yeah. in the scene. You know, I've, I've helped them with taxes uh, and the whole pandemic relief things too. Sometimes people came to me, he's like, "Hey, man, I haven't gotten my stimulus. What do uh -huh. I do?" So I was busy with that till July fifteenth, which was when the deadline was extended till. Then I took other hospitality jobs, whatever I could, just yeah. to, to stay afloat. Bartended for almost two years. Just actually left a bartending position not too long ago. And I'm going to jump right back into hospitality as my kind of day gig. Okay. Something that I enjoy. And it's nice to have enough enough cash to not be desperate to take sure. a, a gig that's not paying right. right. You know? So yep. I like being in the position that's like, okay, you're going to pay me what I want? No? Okay, goodbye. Right. It's a nice position of power. Yeah. I mean, I, and I use power in kind of air quotes because it is, it's, it's not a novelty. It's a, uh, it's a luxury, mm -hmm. right? To say no. Exactly. And, and once you're in a position mm -hmm. of quote unquote power, it's a luxury, but it, it reinforces the artistry. It, it, it allows yes. you to mm -hmm. be an artist and, on your own terms, which uh, I I think is is power. Absolutely, I gave I give value to both sides of, of the coin. You know, I remember I think we had a conversation. Moisés Padilla from Radio Romance and I, when we were playing together in St. Louis, uh, about like <laughs> he had quit a day job. He was playing at uh, he was working at a drum shop in St. Louis and making okay money and playing the gigs. And then he decided to quit. And then he quitted. Like man, the closest you are to being a bum the better your music gets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I, I remember I agree with him because yeah. at, at the time I was playing gigs, only gigs, only gigs, and making as much money as I could, but it wasn't really substantial, you know? Right. I was like, oof, it was tough to make rent sometimes, but it was just lovely, yeah. you know? It's like, it's so living out of your passion and then yeah. you're just so much more 
thankful for every time you hit that stage and people right. people can tell yeah people can tell i think ultimately when you're doing that and that's your passion that's your own your own pocket you know then they they can feel that so i appreciated all those years that i did that and i did that for a long time in yeah. chicago i mostly play music in st louis too i mostly play music um but coming to a level of maturity as a human being i also appreciate being able to pick and choose and yeah. be like okay no you know what that sounds lovely but i would need a couple hundred this. more bucks right, you know right. you know it's not going to happen so i'm not going to put my musicians to work and right. work for something that i don't i don't think i don't even believe in i'll do this for you if you pay me handsomely but and i and i think it's a reflection of of the person as a band leader your job is to take care of your band and if you can't do that like i don't want to do i don't want to do that to my band i you can only ask that so many times until I start to feel like a bad band leader and that's, that's right. and that's not cool. I don't want to feel that. So I'd much rather say no thank you than take every gig and pay my guys 75 bucks. Yeah. I'm not doing that. No. I'm sorry, I'm just not. Yeah. They're, they're better was, than that. They're better than that. It wasn't cool in 2003. It's not right. cool now. Right. Exactly. Yeah, with inflation and everything. Yeah, it's kind of sad that one day another musician pointed out to me is like man isn't it crazy how we used to think that like 100 150 bucks is okay for like a short gig back in the early 2000s and we still think it's okay it's not it shouldn't be okay bro the yeah. prices haven't changed in 50 fucking years yeah i mean i talk to you know people that we know dear friends that have lived here since the 80s mm -hmm. the bread hasn't changed yeah everything else has changged yeah the cost has changed costs of fuck look at gas yeah. i mean it's like i'm gonna start thinking about what gigs i take right based on the distance from where i live right mm -hmm. which is like come on man Food costs have changed. Yeah, restaurants are paying more for food. Yeah, why is it so absurd to think that we should ask for more? Yeah, no, we, we definitely we definitely should. We definitely should. And it, as a, as a society, we need to appreciate the work that that's put into everything that we experience as a consumer. You know, I think the the customers are ready to to appreciate the fact that hey, maybe there's something embedded into a tab when right. you come and there's live music and right. be okay with that. Right. And not like, what? There's a cover charge? Or are you well, charging me $5 out of my bill because ugh. of this musician? <laughs> it's fine. Right. It's like, who is supposed to support this cost? Mm -hmm. It's the fucking people who enjoy it. The exactly. people who are there mm -hmm. to experience culture, art, all the shit, mm -hmm. ambiance. That's a separate fucking thing mm -hmm. than just walking in the door. Anyway, I don't know. I don't give me fucking start. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Well, but to answer the the original question, um, yes, I was doing I was doing that. But needless to say, like as a musician, you know, you start getting the hibby jibbies if right. you don't if you don't get on the stage. Some right, right. So I, did, I did a couple well, that, of the live things. You yes, know, it was fulfilling to a certain extent, but also kind of depressing that you're in a room by yourself oh, and bro. everyone else is hey, yeah, good to see shit. you, good to hear. So yeah. I, I mean, I did, didn't 100% enjoy it. It was very fortunate that a few mutual friends uh, uh, introduced me to this gentleman, Curtis Van Slyke, that had like this property in a condo that was by the Greenbelt in Scottsdale, mm -hmm. and they had like a huge shaded area that was just perfect for like a little uh, makeshift amphitheater. Mm -hmm. So socially started, distanced, exactly, outside, outside, yeah, sitting on the like grass, it. stay with your group. <laughs> yeah. Right. Bring your own food. Right. Bring your own lawn chairs. Yeah. Don't don't mix and mingle. Just right. stay with your groups and come and enjoy some live music for free. Yeah. And then we would open up the guitar cases and be like, people would 
sometimes be more generous than other times, but yeah. we'd walk away with some bread. For sure. And it was just a very a grateful experience to me that I was in the middle of the biggest pandemic of our lifetimes. I was able to still do that Let's hope. almost consistently. Let's yeah. hope it's the bi the biggest pandemic of our lifetime. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> There he is. <laughs> Someone's here. <laughs> good boy. Good boy. I know. Good boy. Good boy. It's we dead. I agree. I had to beat on the look at his look at <laughs> yeah, the back of his fur. Yeah. yeah, he's ready. He's ready to go. See, he's a lover, not a fighter, but he's also a fighter. So don't get any ideas. <laughs> good boy. Um, I have a question for you. Have you seen the movie Life Aquatic? I haven't seen the whole thing, to be honest. I enjoyed the soundtrack. I met Sir George in Chicago. No. Oh, we hung out for an entire evening. No shit. Quite a lovely guy. He's living in L.A. now. Uh, went through a divorce a few years back, and he's got two daughters that live in L.A., and he, I think he co-parents with his ex. And in Chicago, I was, was probably the peak of my time with Chicago Samba, so I was playing all over town. Uh, I was actually out of town the night that he was playing, but I, I made it to the show. I think I left the gig a little early or something because I needed to meet yeah. him. So I drove to Chicago. I think, I don't know if I was in, I think I was in Michigan somewhere. I can't remember where I was, but I, may, I remember, oh no, Sir George plays tonight. I'm going. Yeah. So made it to the Sir George concert and got in touch because he played at a venue that I had a residency. Ah. So I was backstage the whole, almost the whole show. And then I talked to the guys in the band. Some of the guys are fantastic, actually. Half of the soundtracks of everything from Paramount to uh, Disney to to Netflix specials that you're going to see a guy's name show up. His name is Antonio Pinto. Uh, and he's a fantastic composer. He does a lot of scores. He was in Sir George's band back then because ah. Sir George had a special project, Almas, it was called. And he played a lot of grunge-sounding stuff. Really? Yeah, he was, we had a conversation in his tour bus after the show. We were hanging out. And he told me that, oh, well, you know, I'm trying to break free from the stigma of Brazilian music. You know, I, I don't want huh. people to ask me to play samba all the time or to play this all the time. Was so, this pre-Life Aquatic? That was after. Oh. It was, he was already big. He was, wow. he, he was already very well-known globally because yeah. it was after Life Aquatic. Wow. And, and all that surprised me but not a whole lot because i know a lot of brazilian musicians that live abroad that play their own style that is not necessarily what some people would consider brazilian you know well i think that i think that people and i put myself in this category as well but it's like we don't know what the fuck we're talking about we don't know how to define brazilian music mm -hmm. you know like but if it has a thing that we think it is then that's what it is you know exactly. what i'm saying like yeah. The the world we're we're morons, okay, <laughs> and we don't know what the fuck we're thinking. But mm -hmm. we like to think that we know what it is. What it is is people like to put things in boxes. Yeah, categorize yeah. everything. It, I, just, I, yeah. it keeps things simple. Yeah. So when you mm -hmm. categorize things, right. So I think I, I totally understand where he was coming from. So it made sense to me because the album that he put out sounded more like Chris Cornell than than so wow. And it was a great album. I'm gonna check that out, man. Yeah, it was the the one and only, and it was him, uh, Lucio Maia from Chico Science and Nação Zumbi, another great Brazilian band. He was on guitar. Antonio Pinto was on bass, and Pupilo Menezes, also from Nação Zumbi, was playing on kit. And Geraldinho, I think, it was on percussion, another great Brazilian percussionist. 
So they hung out that the whole night. How then cool. they had to go to Vancouver right after the show, which was oh, that's a drive. It, it was it was I, I, from Chicago to Vancouver. I couldn't believe it that they were actually doing it in the tour bus. Damn. Uh huh. The reason why I bring that up is that I think the world needs your Brazilian influenced covers. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think so too. I mean, how I've been, I've been trying to market it for, hey, come I, on, for man. a little while now. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> the world needs it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the beauty of fusion music is that you get to make a collaboration of people that are alive and dead and for influences that you might appreciate and be familiar and might excite you and add a little it's like the introduction to spicy food sometimes uh-huh. to some people and it's like right. oh my god yeah i know this tune by bill withers but i never heard it this spicy right what why right. is making it this spicy? oh is it that drum that goes <laughs> exactly right. that's it you know and just let's do it yeah i want to hear it i want to hear your versions of these pop tunes i mean the let's f- do it it's that's fun as shit. I, I yeah, love the, reimagining things. One, one that goes very well with the crowds is uh, one day I was just writing something, like some chord progressions and some melodies in my head. And it was, I think Davi was practicing with me. We were about to go on a short little tour around the Midwest, went to St. Louis, to Chicago. And then I started singing No Diggity to that. And in that progression, it worked perfectly. So every time we play together as a band, we do this bossa nova <laughs> All jazz chords for yeah. no diggity, and it sounds so great. Yeah. So much so, I think what was his name Rodney Poe. He's uh, was part of the 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 new rendition of Black Street. He was here mm. in town, and uh, he was hanging out with Fred Boswell. Oh no shit! And I was playing Kaz, and and then Fred Boswell comes up to me, "Hey, bro, I got one of the guys from Black Street right here." As I'm <laughs> doing, as I'm singing in between verses, and it's like, "Well, tell him to come up and sing the second verse." Oh my god! So he jumped on and sang the second verse How of No cool Diggity to the Brazilian beat. The next day, he said, "Hey, we're having a, a some type of record release party across the street. Why don't you come and, and play this with us?" And I said, like, "Sure, I'll come." You know, and I came, and I thought that it was going to be the, the whole band. They made me play that solo by myself. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was great. Yeah, I played a couple more more tunes there. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. What's uh, what's next for you? What's on the horizon? What's happening? What's what's getting you excited, inspired? Well, uh, right, like I said, I'm going to start another another day gig in a couple of weeks now, or like next week actually, and I'm I need to get my my fu pile of of mm-hmm. cash replenished because yep. I've been out of the job for a couple of months now, and once that is met, and I'm going to start investing more of my time into getting. I want to get at least one weekly residency as a band mm-hmm. just so you can get a scene going because then my favorite thing playing in the different cities that i have was having the residency where people start learning about it and then they start telling their friends about it mm-hmm. and then next thing you know you have like a tuesday night that's like the, the cock and tails jam you know mm-hmm. they're like people are showing up consistently every week mm-hmm. i've had that in chicago i've had that in st louis mm-hmm. and i was getting that in phoenix and then yeah (laughs) and then the bubonic plague attacked us and then monkey pox (laughs) oh god (laughs) let's go hey labium labium i'm gonna knock see see it's me knocking you gotta knock on wood yeah monkey pox no it's not it's not gonna be a thing it's not a thing it's not gonna be a thing no sorry i didn't mean to bring it up but yeah oh god (laughs) don't get me started yeah and then there's donkey pox and then there's So I, I, I'm interested in this because I see the value in a residency. You know, I, I, I get what you're saying. Consistency is helpful, helpful for people um, that they know on any given night um, 
they'll get good quality stuff mm-hmm. and where you know where would you like to do this like what's the what's the plan what's the plan well outside? there's so many places that have a good vibe that i would love to do it i'm really not that picky when it comes to the venue you know the walmart has been great in opening up their space for us to do a, a thing here and there um uh, i really don't have a, a, a preference yeah. you know i think charles is putting on, on a good scene now mm-hmm. they, they did some Nice some to upgrades. have Charles back. Yeah, yep. they did some upgrades to the to the scene there. It looks really nice. Uh, I really don't have a preference. It's yeah. just somewhere that would be welcoming enough to my musicians and my crowd and know that it's going to be a riot and so much fun and almost completely different every time, mm-hmm. you know, and different instrumentation, different And I love the vibe. variety. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's hip. And the, as you say, the instrumentation is great. You have great players. And you can move kind of seamlessly between these genres and in a way that, that isn't jarring, right? Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't get in there and do like a straight ahead thing and then do like a rock thing. I mean, it's it's too jarring, but I feel like you have this ability to seamlessly weave these different things together mm-hmm. in a way that it just feels like very fluid. Yeah, you know, it's something that I did recently, probably over the last couple of years, that I never thought that it would have the effect that it does. But I prefer to not write set lists anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't write set lists anymore. I just have the guys like be kind of fluent in mm-hmm. the tunes. You know, sometimes I have to name the tunes numbers almost, <laughs> or I have to name them after the riff or what chord changes they are, just so everybody knows what the track is. But I like to be able to not follow a set list. And I was like, oh, now we're going to go from that Dire Straits version into this. No, no, that's not going to go well. Let's, not tonight. Not tonight. Right. Exactly. Right. Not tonight. Right. Then I like to throw, and the band is so great and the guys mm-hmm. are so good that sometimes I can do a medley and they will jump right on. Mm. Within the first bar, they'll mm-hmm. know like, oh, he switched to No Diggity now. Mm-hmm. So they'll start mm-hmm. playing along and it's just the most beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I love that fluidity and just riding the wave mm-hmm. which is a complicated ride because you have guys right. dragging along with you, you know? well the, you you just have to have developed a form of communication mm-hmm. and they have to have really big ears oh, and yeah. they have to be listening at all times right absolutely mm-hmm. i'm i'm with you on the set listening i mean unless it's like a staged show right yeah. you know yeah. but but in a in in a kind of bar environment let's ride this energy mm-hmm. right and how many like I don't know how many cover songs. Let's say, do you know? Is it you have a? And it's all in your head. You don't have. I don't see any fucking sheets read. or anything. I or any, never read. I never read. If I, I have to, if I shit. have to read to play a song, I, I'll put it in the bench until it's ready to come out and play. Whoa! So at one point, when I first moved here, and I was still working loosely for an up show, and I moved in with Monica. And then I decided one day to just put a compilation on an Excel spreadsheet between the mm-hmm. American stuff and the Brazilian stuff that I could play by heart. Yeah. It was over like 350 songs. No, <laughs> Bro, I need an iPad for my own song. That's probably why I'm so dumb in other areas of my life, because I'm keeping my hard drive so busy with all these songs. <laughs> and I keep learning more. <laughs> Well, I, I got to tell you, um, I've seen you at the Womack with the full band. It's a great experience. It's fun. It's fun. And I think that I lose that sometimes. I mean, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy performing, but some, sometimes 
bringing the crowd with me is not the first impulse. The first impulse is to um, nail the performance. The first impulse is to um, cater to the to the emotional value of the song. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't relate to the audience. That doesn't include them in the thing. That's true. I stay. I would say that my first, the first. Uh, uh, drive for me is the song deliver the song in the way that it needs to be delivered mm-hmm. and 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 i feel like i have a lot to learn as a front man and someone who as you do mm-hmm. synthesizes the energy from the audience relates it to the band and gives it back like mm-hmm. i don't do that very well so mm-hmm. i have a lot to learn from you it's the you've done the first step which i think you don't have to obey your own set list what mm-hmm. you wrote six hours ago for this show yeah, is no. not what the crowd's gonna yeah. be giving you back so right. you take that energy from the crowd and maybe that downbeat song that's coming next or that slow ballad that's about to come next is not the time to play mm-hmm. it when the people have just gotten up from their seats right and also with the guys you know you gotta make sure that you're all on the same boat and you're all fluid together you know mm-hmm. with that it's what i have trouble with i get sometimes overly animated and i'm watching myself on video and i'm like man i look like a, a jackass <laughs> like trying to get my drummer to speed up you know uh-huh, uh-huh. i look like i'm stepping on right. an accelerator here come yeah. on come on man right 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 <laughs> so i have to be careful with that too because i get a little I look like a dickhead sometimes, you know, like trying to get my band to do the breaks that I want yeah, without but, rehearsing. Yeah, but that, you know, but that's that's being a band leader, and yeah. and again, it comes down to how you communicate with those guys and how you deliver that information, and they need to know what the cues are to do this or this. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, in addition to being great musicians with big ears, ready mm-hmm. to follow on a dime, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do love the way um, that that you uh, you 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 feel the energy and and you push it back and and that's something that i'm trying to work on so what i'm saying is hire me in your band absolutely <laughs> let's do it let's, hey man I'm, I'm if you kinda... need a very mediocre guitar player a competent singer another one <laughs> how many <laughs> mediocre guitar players can be in one band no i love no i mean you the, the your flavor I, there's a thing man you have a thing you know mm-hmm. and and maybe i have a thing too and maybe we're both not super technically proficient mm-hmm. but what we do we do it well you That's know right. and 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 mm-hmm. whatever it is however you want to define it you got to know um, your forte exactly you and then hire the cats that can fill in the gaps that's right know? yeah you, you know somebody somebody somebody's got to keep feeding the ted Belladins and the shea marshall right, right, of the world yeah <laughs> yeah well and 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 maybe this is how we close out but but um how fortunate are we to be in a community of musicians of just stellar musicians and even better humans i'm 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 continually uh thankful and grateful um, for this musical community and and the venues that we have, you know, uh, access to, um, I I had no idea what I was getting into when I moved here, and maybe you did or didn't. But uh, aren't we the the great and thankful recipients of such a welcoming and uh, just super talented community of musicians? Absolutely, yeah. I think I just came to a realization here that the Sonoran is a desert, and most senses of it except for the music this mm. is a musical oasis yeah i never thought that there would be so much 
juiciness here. It's yeah. it's a succulent music scene there for for as dry as arid as a place as Phoenix is. Uh, I, I would I have never expected to see so much fruition here. There's yeah. a lot of a lot of fruit here. Yeah, yeah. Well, Will from Brazil, appreciate Brian you, Brian Chartron. <laughs> I can't wait to see you again. I'm gonna bring a notepad. I'm gonna take some notes. We're gonna have a we have a session where I can show me how to do what you do because I'm I'm impressed. Oh, uh, you do it and you do it well, my friend. <laughs> Love you. All right. Well, you're out of Kachasa. Cheers. Cheers. So the story goes.